Hey, would you take your Bible to John chapter 6, and let's read our text, and then you can have a seat. So last week we were in John 6, 1 through 15, looking at the feeding of the 5,000, and the next aspect of that is um, Jesus walking on the water, and we will deal with that. We'll also um, look at some stuff in Matthew chapter 14 today. It gives us a little bit more detail. But go with me to 6, 14. 14 was part of last week, but let's put, let's put this together so we can get the scene. So when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. And when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. And it was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. And the sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. And when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. And then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. All right, you may be seated. So let's go ahead and just get straight into um, the text today. And the first thing I wanted to touch on for us this morning that I think is really critical, and it's based in Matthew fourteen twenty two, John chapter 2, and then John six fifteen. Now, in regard to the Jews' understanding, as Jesus has come onto the scene, it was pretty well cemented in their mind what the Messiah was going to be like. They had been under Roman oppression for many, many years now, and so there was a longing in their heart that when Messiah came, if it was in their day, Messiah would be more of a military ruler, uh, a man of might, more in, with politics, and he would free them from their oppressors. They weren't really looking for a suffering servant that Isaiah chapter 53 talks about. And so when Jesus came, there was much excitement about who he was. Now, he was not doing a lot of politics at all. He wasn't doing any of that. He was... He was preaching and teaching, proclaiming the gospel. He was healing people. But it must have been in the people's minds at the, at the end of the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 that they were ready for this guy. Let's usher him in. Let's make him king. And he will sit on the throne and he will deal with our oppressors. And so this idea is cemented in their mind. The problem is is that Jesus was never going to be that kind of Messiah. He was not going to be that kind of king. And so one of the things that we have to consistently examine, and I want to set forth for us today, is this one, is we must want the correct Jesus. There are a lot of false Jesuses out there. There's a lot of perspectives on Jesus out there that, that, we want to, that people wanted to tweak him uh, to fit a certain idea or whatever the case may be. But we have got to be the kind of people that want the biblical Jesus. And we want to look at the text and we want to see who he is. And that, that picture becomes the one that shapes our understanding in regard to who Christ is. Now Jesus does something very unique here. And I think he does it because they are wanting him to be something that he's not going to be. Now he does preacher 101 not to do thing. Because here's what... Here's what church ministries tell you. Sydney's here today. Hi, Sydney. Sydney's in ministry. Some of us have been in ministry uh, before. And what you will be told out there is capitalize on the moment and the momentum and go with it. So here's what Jesus does. You talk about momentum. Upwards to 20,000 people have been fed that day. They want to usher Jesus in. 
He's got 12 disciples. They're ready as well. Watch. He does something completely different. Instead of capturing the moment, he sends everybody away. They don't march on Jerusalem. They don't get conference speaking going on and and kind of organize this thing. It has nothing to do with that in his heart because that's not who he was going to be. It is not why he came. He wasn't going to be this military ruler overthrowing Rome. He had come to overcome the dead hearts that were inside of everybody and to make them alive. He was coming, as Ezekiel wrote, to, to take that heart of stone and to give us a heart of flesh and so so jesus knowing what they're like and by the way knowing what we are like because i think sometimes we we look back two thousand years later and go boy if i'd have been there that day boy i i would have or if i'd have if i'd have been a part of the israelites and the cloud was leading us during the day and the pillar of fire by night i would have had such great faith i wouldn't have been like any of those people i would have been so committed we need to be really really careful because there's a tendency in our heart to be so desperately deceitfully wicked that sometimes even with jesus we want him to become something that he is not going to become and so jesus sends the crowd away he sends the disciples on the other side because there was a great danger in the moment that they were going to try to force him to be someone that he was not going to be. And I believe it has always been the case that not everyone longs for the biblical Jesus, even people in church. We want Jesus to be how we want him to be. And if we were real honest this morning, we really don't want him to be how we want him to be. Because that would be a man-centered version of Jesus And we want the powerful, awesome, majestic, holy, righteous Jesus that does incredible things in our lives and in our world. So the first principle that we must see this morning, that it is critical in our lives, that it's settled in our hearts that we want the biblical Jesus. Now, the second thing I want to touch on this morning that I think is really critical, and it's connected to what he does here in sending the crowds away and sending the disciples away. His ways are not our ways. He just does things really different and really unique, and he really does that in the story in a variety of ways. Let me remind you of something that's very familiar to us if you've been in church for a while. It's Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah 55 is such a significant, significant chapter, just so many great things in there, and this is one of the things that that the prophet writes. This is God's words, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as high as the heavens, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, I memorized this verse in a different translation. It always messes me up when I read it. Let me start over. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. His ways, watch what his ways do. So now we've we've seen this big picture. And here's, here's the context of what, what we know of that's going on here. Matthew chapter 14 gives us a little more insight. So Jesus has fed the up to upwards of 20,000 people. There's this unbelievable excitement. They want him to go and march on Jerusalem and let's usher him in to be the king and let's, let's get this thing going, this Messiah stuff going. News comes, Matthew 14 tells us at the end of that, that John the Baptist has just been beheaded. So this forerunner of Jesus has lost his head, he's dead, he's also the cousin of Jesus. And so Jesus dismisses the crowds, 
And then Jesus gets the disciples in a boat, and they're heading on the other side, and he goes up on the mountain by himself, which gives us a great principle in our lives. Sometimes in our lives, in the very highest moments of our lives, and there's a lot of emotion connected with that, we need to step back and, and get with God and praise Him for what He has done. But then there's also times where news comes and we're heartbroken. And we also need to withdraw and, and to spend time. And so Jesus doesn't go up on the mountain, I don't think, to take a nap. I think He goes up on the mountain, and I think He goes up there, one, to intercede because he's just put the disciples into a boat knowing this, that they're about to enter into a storm. And they're not going to know what to do. It's going to be so overwhelming. I think he also goes up because we, we cannot remove the humanity of Jesus. He loved his cousin, John the Baptist. And I think he's hurting. And I think he goes up on the mountain and he spends time with his father. And then he comes down. And the disciples are a long way away, and the beauty of the story begins to unfold. But let me just say this before we move to point three this morning. A key piece to our maturing in our relationship with Christ is to embrace that His ways are not our ways. And so therefore, we have to do this. We have to learn that His ways are not our ways. And so you can actually learn His ways. And the best way to learn how He works in people that love Him is to read this book and to see the stories. You see these Old Testament stories like Job and, and Jonah, the lessons Jonah had to learn, the lessons the prophets and all of these people in the Old Testament, and they learned from their mistakes, and they also learned when God just did God things and sin wasn't there, it just was worshipful moments. And so, so we learn how God works and it's mysterious, and it's unique, and it's powerful, and sometimes it's not logical. It's not logical at all sometimes, this life of faith that He calls us to. And so we learn His ways, not where we master what He's always going to do, but we know this, that He is going to be at work, and He's going to be doing things. And so we learn from the Scripture, one, what His ways are like. Another way that we learn how He works is from our own lives. When we walk in obedience with Him, um, or we're walking a life and a trial comes, and we trust in God in the midst of that trial, we learn in the midst of that what God is like and how he, what He says and what He communicates to us as we read the Scripture and we pray. And so, so there's a unique aspect of learning him, His ways by reading the Scripture. How did He work in the saints' lives who have come before us? But also we learn it in our own lives. Also we learn it by being in community with one another and listening to the stories of what God's doing in the lives of other people. And that tells us how He potentially could work in our lives at some point in time. So His ways are not our ways. So in the highest emotion... Can, Again, let me just stop for a moment. Can you imagine the excitement at the end of feeding 20,000 people? Can you, just, the, can, you, can you imagine what the people are feeling, what the disciples are feeling? They're holding 12 basketfuls of food, and they know that Andrew found a little boy that had some loaves and fish. And now it's just this massive thing that has happened. And so this Messiah frenzy is there. Jesus sends everybody away, and he, watch, watch this. He sends the disciples into a storm. Did he know the storm was coming? Well, obviously he did. And so he does something unique in their lives, I think, um, 
for a couple of specific reasons that we will see. Let's look at the third thing this morning. Going forth in the will of Christ is not always going to be the smoothest path. Following Him in obedience is the right thing always. It is the God-honoring thing. It is the best thing for us. But it doesn't mean that everything's just going to be smooth and there aren't going to be challenges along the way as we walk with Him. So look at 16 and 17 again, or 16 through 18 with me again. So when evening came, His disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, started across the sea to Capernaum, and it was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them, and the sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. Matthew fourteen twenty two. Uh, Matthew writes it this way. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. So evening comes. The disciples have gotten into the only boat that seems to be there. They borrowed it, or maybe it's, it's one of theirs. And they get in, watch, at the command of Christ. He tells them to get in. He tells them to go to the other side. So they are doing exactly what he's told them to do. He's told them, I'm going to meet you over there. I don't know if they had a discussion. How's he going to meet us? Where's he going to be? How's he going to get there to us? But they get into the boat, and they're heading over there. They are in the will of God, doing exactly what Jesus at that moment told them to do. And yet, what he told them to do was leading them to a storm that they were going to encounter in the middle of this lake. And the storms they find themselves in is because they went in the command of Jesus. And so in that moment, they are in the will of Christ, and they are going exactly where he wants them to go. And as they're on the lake, it is dark. Um, it becomes a violent storm, comes up, and it seems to them that they are without Jesus, but they're not without him. He knows what's going on. He is aware of what's, what's happening and taking place. There are two kinds of storms that come into our lives, and I want to deal with those just for a moment. The first storm is what we call a storm of correction. Um, I don't know about you, I'll just make confession, but I know, I know some of you, and you're like me. I know Matt Vanderwell really well, and I know we're just idiots sometimes. We love God, Jessica's like, yeah, that's right. I know this about me, I can just love God in a moment and then I can have a loss of my mind. And just kind of forget who I am and, and, and forget things and, and make a mistake. And listen, some of us have made messes of our lives with decisions that we've made in the past. And it's caused such destruction in our lives, not just our lives, but the ripple effect um, in, in the lives of other people. And so God comes and he does what? He disciplines us. And so some storms that come in our life is because God disciplines us and there's storms of correction. This storm... With the apostles, it's not a storm of correction. They haven't done anything wrong. They've been told to get into the boat, to go to the other side. Jesus is going to meet them there, whether it's later that night or it's in the morning, whatever the case. But the Lord has told them he's going to meet them, and they are to go. And so, so here they are. There's a storm of correction that's there. And so sometimes in our lives, the, um, there's, God disciplines us as he did with Jonah. And he did that um, with him. And then sometimes... There are storms that come into our lives that lead to more perfection, that are designed to bring us to a place of deeper godliness and of deeper honor of who He is. And I would like to remind you and I this morning 
that we are always safer in the storm if we are in His will than on the land with the crowds and everybody else's opinion and out of His will. It is safer to be in that place. And so this storm, again, is one that He has sent them into and it will test them to the max because He's out of the boat and they're going to be trying to figure out what do they do to fix the situation and sometimes in our lives, there's those moments where we just don't know what to do. What's next? How do we get out of this? What, what's the future hold? And so they've been working hard. They've gone three or four miles um, during the night. The storm's there. They don't seem to be getting anywhere. The, the boat's now being tossed back and forth. It's obvious probably water is coming in. And you've got some experienced fishermen there. And they are in the midst of the sea, and they feel totally isolated. And they're looking around at one another. How are we going to get out of this? And there doesn't seem to be any kind of solution. And it's in that moment, at their dire moment, when Christ comes to them in a unique way that he's never come to them before to remind them that he's sovereign. And I think in our lives, he does that as well. In our dark hour, when we're we're at that place, we're like, I don't know how I move on. I don't know how I deal with this. I don't know how to deal with this sickness in my heart. That's those moments where Christ comes at a unique time to awaken and remind you and I that He can be trusted. And so this idea that going forth in the will of Christ always is smooth is just not true. Acts chapter 4, Peter and John have healed a man and they're arrested and they're accosted and then later they're continuing to preach and, they to, and, and they, they're brought in and say, we told you not to talk about this man Jesus. And they're like, we, we, we can't stop talking about him. So they're like, okay, let's, here's what we'll do. How about let's beat them, and maybe that will hush their mouths in talking about Jesus. And so they beat them, and they go away from the presence of their beating, rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. So going forth in the will of Christ and doing God's will is not always going to be the smoothest path, but it is the only path to find life. Well, here they are. It's a dire moment. And let's look at the fourth thing this morning. So John six nineteen says they rode about three or four miles and, and they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat and they were frightened. Matthew 14, 24 and 25, uh, Matthew writes this. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, and they said, It is a ghost, and they cried out in fear. At their most dire moment, at the moment of their greatest need, Jesus came to them, watch, walking on the water. Walking on the water. Will you think about that for a moment? Walking on top of the water. So they're struggling Boat being tossed, water coming in. What are we going to do about this? How are we going to get out of this situation? Watch, Jesus is walking in the midst of the storm, completely stable, not being blown around, commanding the droplets of water, the waves to uphold him, and he's walking completely stable totally stable and he comes to them there's a fourth point he comes to them in a new way that he's never come to them before and in that moment they're shocked and they're not ready for what's there in our moments of weakness in our lives it becomes a perfect time for christ to reveal his sovereign power in our life to move so we're living in a in a time right now where such lawlessness in our country and 
and all the stuff that's going on, such confusion, such fear, so, so much things going on in our day. I, I, I can't say it enough, and I know many of us embrace this and believe this. We must remember the sovereign power of Christ. Nothing is greater than Him. Nothing is stronger than Him. COVID is not more powerful than God. The lawlessness in our land is not more powerful than Christ. The confusion with all of these things, it's there. So we need to be reminded that He is... Listen, I know this to be true. He is at work in our country in the midst of the chaos. He's at work. He's always at work. He's always doing things. And He can be trusted even in the midst of the confusion and the chaos. And I love these four words that John writes here. He came to them. He came to them. So they're out there, man's effort, looking at one another. Peter, you're a fisherman. What are we going to do? I don't know what to do. We're going down, bro. We're going down. We're not getting out of this. And he comes to them in this moment in a unique way, walking on the sea. You see, he can come in the storm and on the storm and he can come through the storm for nothing can stop him. And he comes absolutely stable and unmoved by the storms of our lives though our world is totally shaken and we don't know what to do and what's going to come. He comes to us in that way because here's the reality. What is our storm that seems overwhelming becomes his pathway to us. And that's exactly what happens here. Well, the last thing they thought, they probably should have known by now that he could, could have flown out to them. He could have done whatever he wanted to do. But he comes walking, and he comes to them in a new way. And it says they were terrified. It's interesting in the Greek, this word means to not just be in trouble. It means to be shaken up to a panic state. Now, I've never been out on a boat in the middle of the lake, when a storm comes, I've never been out in the ocean, and I'm not volunteering to do that. I, I like my feet planted on the earth, just to be honest with you. And so I, I can't imagine what it must have been like, um, but I can imagine, I've, I've seen videos of, of those boats out there when the storms come and, and, and just how they're just tossed about. And so you can just imagine the panic that was there. And you've got experienced fishermen who've grown up by the Sea of Galilee and have been out there in these storms. And they're convinced it's all over. It's over. We're not, we're not surviving this. And he comes to them in a unique way, and they're in a panic state. And again, I want to remind us, listen. He's coming to them in, the, in a storm that's their place of obedience. He told them to go. And he comes in this unique way. Well, I have to ask the question, why didn't they recognize him? Why did they think Casper was flying out there, the friendly ghost was coming out there? Why did they think that what they saw when the lightning flashed, that this couldn't be Jesus, it had to be someone else? And I think the first reason, and, and I think there's a lot of application in our life, is they weren't looking for him in that moment. They weren't looking for him. It just was beyond their comprehension that he would come walking on the water that's there and so they're not there they were relying on one another they were looking at one another they were using their experience as fishermen maybe somebody was praying maybe nobody was praying we don't know whatever it is but they didn't think that he could come to them in that way and get to them so they weren't even looking for him and secondly 
they weren't ready and didn't recognize him because he came to them in a new way that was unexpected. And though that night was long, and though it was difficult, and though they were wet, and though they may have banged their head and banged their shoulder against the side of the boat, just trying to stay inside of it, it afforded them this new reality. They would have never seen the majesty and the glory of Christ if they had not been out there and he had not come to them in this way. And so he comes to them and they see something about him that's fresh, it is new, it is powerful, and it would impact them for the rest of their lives. Now, my dad was a principal. He became my high school principal. Children in the room, listen to me. There was a day growing up in school in America that if you got in trouble at school and you went to the principal's office, they would tell you to bend your legs and grab your ankles and they would spank your bottom at school with a wooden stick. My dad had one at school, and my dad had one at home. This bottom saw it many times in my lifetime. My dad had a sawed-off wooden baseball bat that had holes drilled in it, And when he spanked me sometimes at home, I would have these little white dots on my bottom. And I remember looking at the white dots and just going, I'm not doing that again because I don't want that. So listen, sometimes in our lives, God disciplines us. And in the moment, let's be honest, is it enjoyable? No, it is not. As a matter of fact, the writer of Hebrews speaks about that. Listen to these words. Hebrews 12, 11. For the moment, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields, listen to these words, powerful words. Listen, listen to how the writer writes these words. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it, for those who are willing to learn, guess what results this discipline? Righteousness, holiness, more godliness. Watch, from our mistakes, from the storms of correction or whatever the case may be. So he comes to them in a new way and they're not ready for it. Let's look at the fifth thing. And then he speaks. Look at verse 20. He said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Matthew writes it this way, Matthew 14, 27. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Three things Jesus says to us in the midst midst of the storm, leading us to perfection. Shape, cutting off the things in our lives that need to be cut off and developing this maturity in us. Jesus, I don't know if you knew this, was the first Brit. He was the first person from England. He was. I'm going to prove it right here scripturally. When he says take courage in the Greek, it means this, be of good cheer. That's what it means. He's the first person ever to say be of good cheer. Now think about this for a moment. You're about to drown. You're going under. And Jesus is walking on top of the water. You think he's a ghost. And then he says, hey, hey, no, 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 it's me. And he says these words. He says, be of good cheer, mates. Listen, do you feel that? 
I don't know what to do in my life. I don't, I don't know what to do. This storm is so overwhelming. I don't know if I'm going I'm, to... I don't know if we're surviving to next week. I don't know if we're surviving through this merger. I don't know if we're surviving through this. And Jesus comes and He says, Listen, church, my people, I want to tell you something. Be of good cheer. How, how in the world can you be of good cheer? You know how? Because He's there. He's present. So the be of good cheer is this. I am here. Be of good cheer. Take courage. It is I. I'm not a ghost. I'm the one who called you out to follow me. You are following me now. And I want you to know that I've come to you. I've told you to come. You're in the midst of the storm. And I've come to you in a sovereign, powerful way. No storm is ever too big for Christ. None of them are. We can trust that he's going to arrive. And he tells them, men, I have arrived. I am here. And he tells them, don't be afraid. And I want to remind you and I this morning, as his children, we are never out of his loving care. Ever are we out of his loving care. No matter what it seems like. And what he has done for them in the text already is interceded for them. And now he comes to them right where they are in the midst of the storm. And both of those bring such security in our lives to be reminded that he now has ascended. He is seated at the right hand of his Father and he is interceding for us as we go through the things that we go through here on the earth. And in the midst of the things that we go through, he comes. And sometimes it's in the most unique way. And this is the sixth thing I want us to see this morning is that the security of His presence, when we really understand the security of His presence, it moves us from being a boat person to stepping out on the water. So now we got to go to Matthew chapter 14. And I don't know why John, I don't know why John doesn't include Peter walking on the water. It could have been, okay, Matthew wrote that way back when, and maybe John was tired of Peter getting all of this attention about walking on the waters, whatever, but he, he doesn't mention it, but here we are. There's something amazing happens that John doesn't mention, but Matthew gives us. In Matthew 14, 28, it says this. And so he, he sees that it's Jesus. He recognizes And so Peter answered Jesus. Answered what? That Jesus said, be of good cheer. It is I. And Peter answered him saying, Lord, notice the word, it's Lord, sovereign, master, ruler, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. And so Peter got out of the boat, and he walked on the water, and he came to Jesus. So let's just be honest. The storms of our life will test our faith. And in fact, there will be times when faith is all that we have. It's just overwhelming, and it's there. And so we'll find ourselves in situations where we can't see the shore We cannot begin to understand how the situation is going to be worked out and what's going to be on the other side, what's the end result going to be. And it's in those times where we have to trust and we call out and we trust His Word and we talk to Him and we we listen to what He has to say. And it's in the storm right now in this moment where Peter's deep love and trust for Jesus just comes out of his heart. We we find out what's there. I think think the feeding of the 5,000 must have done something significant in Peter's Heart, when he got into the boat and they're going, he must have recognized, we're, we're following the Messiah men. We're with him. And so now Jesus has come in a unique way. He was 
fearful because he'd never seen somebody walk on the water to him. He thinks it's a ghost. But now Jesus says, listen, be of good cheer. It's me. I'm present. And Peter, in that moment, deep love for Christ, knowing this, I have got to do this. Safety is not here in the boat. Safety is with the one who is stable, standing, not being tossed. And so watch what Peter does. It's a great lesson for us. He doesn't say, Lord, I want to come to you, but can you calm the storm down a little bit so that the path to you will be a little smoother? He doesn't do that. He just says, Lord, will you speak the word? Will you command me? Will you say, it's okay for me to move? And so I want to remind you now this morning, never move without the speaking of God. Don't live our lives by taking out pieces of paper and trying to determine God's will, pros and cons. Can I tell you what's going to happen? You're going to have sometimes all kinds of pros, why you ought to do something, and it's not God's will. Sometimes you're going to have fewer pros, and the whole page over here is going to be cons, and God wants you to go do it anyway. Do you hear that this morning? And so here's, here's Peter, and he says this, Speak your word. Will you command me and give me permission? Because I want to be where you are. I don't want to be here. This is unstable. You are stable. In church, Jesus has the ability to walk in the storm. He has the ability to stand in the storm. He is greater than the storm because of who He is. And He has the power to bring us security as you and I are in the midst of the storm. And so Peter says, Lord, if it's you, um, let me come. And so he asks, listen, do you see that? He asked for the command of God. He didn't presume that he could do it. And I picture this. Look up here. I think Jesus is doing that. Just boat, waves, lightning, Splashing, darkness, seeing Jesus. And I think Jesus just does this. You come, you come. Peter looks around and he's like, yeah, I'm getting out of here. And he steps outside the boat. And when he steps outside the boat, he reveals that he wants Jesus more than anything. And I want to touch on this as we wind things down this morning. There's 11 other guys staying in the boat. Nobody seems to going to follow him. And I want to say this to you and I this morning. You need to be careful. You and I need to be careful to not get all of our counsel spiritually from boat people. Because this is what boat people say. Peter, that's a ghost out there. It's scary. It's trouble. Hey, Peter, you're going to get really, really wet. At least in here, there's, you know, I mean, gosh, look at those waves, Peter. Peter, you're going to drown. What if you get hurt, Peter? What if you get sick going on that mission trip? Don't go on that mission trip. You might get sick. Peter, you shouldn't do that. Peter, stop it. Peter, look, the boat's tossing enough. Will you get off the edge of the boat, Peter? Will you sit back down and help us? 
Peter, why do you want to do that now? Why don't you wait till, the, till maybe it's, it's calm? Remember last time he spoke to the wind and waves and he calmed it down? Why don't you wait till he speaks to the wind and waves again and then get out of the boat and it's going to be a little calmer and we'll kind of know where you are. But if you fall down right now, Peter, we're not going to, we're not going to know where you are, how we're going to find you. You're just going to be carried away. Peter, have you lost your mind? You ever had anybody tell you that spiritually? You've lost your mind? Peter, it's not safe. And I'll just say this, they all say that from the safety of the boat. When Jesus is saying, come, come to me, come to me. So he steps out and he comes. And sometimes in our lives, we're going to be invited by Christ at this command to do some big faith things. And I'll just say this, Jesus never rejects deep faith. Now, we don't need to be dumb in our decisions. We need to make sure it's His will. But sometimes, just think about this for a moment, how, log- how, how logical from a man's perspective is to step out of the boat in the midst of a storm in the middle of the sea. It's not logical at all. And yet Jesus said, Peter, do it. Let me give you four quick things. What led him to get out of the boat and what led him to walk on the water? And the first thing is simply this, the Word of Christ. He was not going to do this before Jesus arrived, but now that Jesus has arrived, he's asked Jesus, can he come? And so I just want to encourage us and remind us we are not to do things without the command of Christ. We're not to step beyond that command. And Peter's not doing this in and of his own power, but this is happening because of his faith in Christ. And I think he has enough wisdom in the moment to recognize staying in the boat's not going to be a solution But the solution is, if he can get to Jesus, then everything's going to be okay. And I think the depth of the simplicity of his question, can I come to you, is beautiful because it reveals that he knew who Jesus was in that moment. Secondly, I think he wanted Jesus more than anything in that moment. Did you notice that Jesus didn't go, wait, 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 Peter? It's a ridiculous request. Let's talk through this. Jesus honored, watch. He honored Peter's request to come. He didn't put it down. He just said, that's what you want to do. I invite you to come to me on the water. And I tell you, we've all had people in our lives, if you've been in ministry or your faith or whatever the case may be, and you just... uh, Maybe it's a career change and you've sought the Lord, whatever the case may be. And there have been people who've said, oh, that's out of reach. That's going to be too hard on your family. It's not going to be financially possible. It's too risky. You're too old to make that move or whatever the case may be. And I would rather live for something that requires faith than sit in a boat wrestling in the storm that is totally out of my control anyway and I can't do anything about it. And the only reason Peter wanted to come was he wanted to get to Jesus. And this was not an act that necessarily was going to benefit anybody else into the boat. But can you imagine what God could do with some of our trust in him, what he could do with our trust in ministry to impact other people? And let me just say this as well. If you and I are waiting around for the perfect circumstances to step out in faith, can I just tell you they're never going to come? And so sometimes we just have to step out we always want the circumstances to be right 
And I think the reason we want the circumstances to be right because of another C word. You ever heard this word? It's called control. We want control. Now, it doesn't look like control is going to happen if you step out on a boat in the middle of the sea. But that's exactly what happened because Jesus upheld Peter as he walked on the water. Third thing, just real quick. Peter had to surrender to the commands of Christ. He had to release control of what was not logical. And he had to walk to Jesus. And fourthly, he kept his eyes on Jesus for a bit. <laughs> but I want to bring some application here. And this is the time where I dramatically take my glasses off to make my point. This happens from time to time. Somebody will come up to me after church and say, did my, did my wife tell you what's going on in our, in our marriage? And I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. We said, well, you were saying this stuff in the sermon. I was like, well, I don't know anything about you. I don't know what's going on. So I'm about to say some stuff, okay, and make th three applications. I wrote this sermon eight weeks ago. I didn't add anything last night or this morning or the middle of the week. I wrote this eight weeks ago. So I just felt I needed to give that caveat in case you're wondering, do I know stuff about you? I'm wondering this morning in three areas if we need to step out of the boat and trust. And the first one is simply this, that it's been almost six months now since our country was turned upside down. Is it time for some of us to try to get back to some normalcy and trust and just get back into the world? Maybe for some of you, it's not for those in the room this morning, maybe for some of you at home, um, maybe you need to come and sit in the room next week and see that it's okay. Isn't this a, I, I love this morning. I love being here. I love the first service. I love being in here. I love proclaiming God's truth. I love being with God's people this morning and rem, being reminded I'm in, not in control of anything, but He is. But I can look around and, and know that there's other people in my life supporting me. So I wonder, does anybody need to step out and maybe come next week? Secondly, the underlying, one of the underlying secret things that dominates the church today and this may be an ouch moment, was for me this week as I was walking back through the notes, is unforgiveness. I think it's one of the underlying things that is in the church. Do you, anybody in the room this morning, need to go to somebody and say, I'm taking ownership of my bad in what I did in our relationship in this? Or is there anybody in the room this morning that somebody has done something to you and you need to let it go and forgive. It doesn't mean that there's not stuff that's still there. We know that it's there. But instead of silence and not communicating and talking anymore, but we just hold on. And you know this. We've all been there. I've been there. When we hold unforgiveness, it becomes a prison. And guess who's in the prison? It's not the person that we're angry at. We're in the prison. So do we need to step out? Try to get back to normalcy? Do we need to, to release unforgiveness? And here's the third one. And it's what Peter did. And we've touched on it for a moment. 
is it time for some of us to quit trying to control everybody in our life and every circumstance and release control, and including trying to control God? And just release control and say to him, I'm stepping out. I don't know what this means, but I'm stepping out, and I'm going to trust you. And I know there's a myriad of, of things in the room this morning where you could bring application of, but I just want to remind you, staying in the boat was not stable. Watch, watch, watch. It was not stable until what? Until he stepped into the boat. And when he stepped into the boat, he spoke to the storm, and guess what happened? The storm died, and the boat was stable. Get to Jesus no matter what. Get to him. Seek him. Pursue him. If he's out on the water and it makes no logical sense, but you know that he's there, ask him, can I come? I want to be with you. I want you. I called. You answered. And I want to, I want to come and I want to be near you. And so, so Peter's walking on the water and, and then watch, he sinks. Sometimes our life is, is so good and we love Jesus so much. And then one afternoon, one moment, one wave comes and we just crash and that's what Peter does he saw the wind and the waves and he fell down but as we fall listen church you cry out again and you admit I've messed this up things were going well I took my eyes off you I sank and watch when we cry out he is he reminds us again that he's the great rescuer because guess what Peter did he went under and right before he went under Lord save me and Jesus reaches his hand down and he pulls Peter up out of the water. And Peter, when the Lord took him by the hand, sank no further. And I know that Peter was much wetter in that moment, but I think he was wiser because of what happened there. And here's the last thing. Matthew 14, 32 tells us this, that when they, Peter and Jesus, got into the boat, the wind ceased. Can I, can I just make an application here? Not can, I'm going to. Um, uh, where he is, nothing is shaking and moving. He's not moving. His kingdom is unshakable. So get to the rock and stand there. Will things around us move? Yeah, they're moving, but he is not cling to the rock and as soon as they stepped into the boat the wind ceased where he was and those in the boat watch this those in the boat worshiped him saying truly truly you are the son of god you know earlier they said who is this man and now they say you are the son of god i love the prophet isaiah I want you to listen to these words as we finish. This is Isaiah 43, 2 and following. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. Why? Why will they not overwhelm us? For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And this experience resulted in a clearer vision of Christ in their lives and a stronger response than they've ever had. They fell down in the boat in the calmness of the moment and they worshipped Him.
First time they marveled when he, when he spoke to the wind and the waves and they went, you know, what sort of man is this that can speak to the wind and the waves and calm things down? And now they just can't do anything but fall down and just say, you are the Son of God. And I just close with this this morning. Is this settled in our hearts today? That He's the sovereign Son of God and He can be trusted to empower us to forgive others. He can be entrusted to go seek forgiveness. He can, he can be trusted in restoration. He can be trusted to step out of the boat and get back to some normalcy of life. He can be trusted to quit trying to be in control of everything and telling everybody what they need to do and just trust God. If you've got kids this morning that are not walking with the Lord and and it keeps you up at night, I just want to say to you, pray and continue to pray and continue to talk when you have the right moments about Jesus and trust and trust and trust and trust and leave it with Him. But it's time to release control because, by the way, nobody in this room and nobody on this planet today is in control of anything. But Jesus is sovereign and so big that the psalmist said that he uses the earth as his footstool. And that's the kind of God who's calling us to trust him. So how did Peter walk on the water? Well, it wasn't Peter's strength. It is... It's not I, it's yet Christ through me. It is Him, the hope of glory. It's Christ in us. It's not us, it's Christ. Any great thing we do, we should never point back to us. It should all go to Him. So I don't know how how you need to apply this in your life, but I'm just telling you, you know what the great tragedy Sunday after Sunday is in most churches is? We listen to this stuff, we think about stuff that we need to do, and then we walk out the door, and it's more important to go eat than to do the right thing. And so maybe this week, there's a challenge for some of us to relinquish control, get a relationship right, step back into life again. Whatever the case may be, it's time. But it's not us. It's Him that enables us to do this. Let's pray.